Hi everyone, this is One New Man Ministries. I'm Lee here with Jerry and Duke. Thanks for joining us. Uh, One New Man Ministries is an Ephesians 2 ministry. And it really is about that each of us as individuals are one new man. For by grace we have been saved through faith through the cross of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, and that he brought us together and might reconcile us both groups to God in one body through the cross, putting to death the hostility and the enmity that comes between people because through him he brought peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were who near and we all have access in one spirit to the Father through our Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach. And our goal in One New Man Ministries is to study together the Old Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the New Testament, to show how it's one continuous revelation of God's plan for redeeming a people for himself and fulfilling the Abrahamic covenant that through Abraham all nations all tribes would be saved and how this has played out through of course the Isaac and Jacob and the tribes and Israel and then through Yeshua HaMashiach so Jerry what are we talking about today well, our Parsha is the beginning of the book of Numbers. And one of the things to point out at the beginning is that Numbers is the word that we get from the Greek translation of the Old Covenant, the Pentateuch. Uh, they put the Greek word on their arithmetoi that we get arithmetic from. And they were looking at the idea that the book begins with numbering the people. However, in the Hebrew, this book is called Bemidbar, which is in the wilderness. And that actually, when we think of this book, it is much more appropriate for us to think about this is about what it means to be in the wilderness, as God is guiding them from Egypt to Sinai and now through the wilderness towards the promised land. And so what we're really seeing is a good example, I think, of what our own spiritual journey might look like as we are traveling from the cross to glory, right? Uh, that in some ways the wilderness, we tend to hear the wilderness and like that's a bad place. Uh, but really one way to look at the wilderness is just this is the this is the journey from our starting point to our finishing point and everything that we are doing right now in some way can correlate to the experiences that the Israelites are going to have in the wilderness. So that's one of the things I think is important to, to keep in the back of our minds as we begin to look at what's going on in the entire book of Bamidbar or Numbers. Um, here at the very beginning is the uh, recounting of taking a census, counting all of the males 20 years old and upward who are able to go to war. So this is a get ready for battle scene. Um, we keep reading and we see that for uh, 
couple of different reasons the tribe of Levi is not counted at this point because they are not going to go to war. They are going to tend to the holy business. <laughs> they are the priests and the Levites who will tend to the sanctuary, who will tend to, as the rabbis point out repeatedly in commenting about this, the teaching of Torah. Uh, they had the, the responsibility to uh, teach God's word to the people, to make it known. Uh, to continue to uh, adjudicate different questions that might come up as we saw in Exodus. What should we do with this man who sinned, who did this, who did that? And so the tribes that are numbered for war are the uh, all the sons of Jacob, except for Levi. And we get to 12 because Joseph's sons received the double bless. Joseph received the double blessing, so his two sons Ephraim and Manasseh are counted as part of the 12 tribes. So that's the first part of our portion. And then the second part is about numbering the Levites, and then it begins to talk about the responsibilities of the Levite in uh, breaking camp, and breaking down the tabernacle, and then in setting it up. Uh, one other thing that, that happens just before that is God gives the details. I left this out, I'm sorry. Uh, the details of how the camp will be ordered with the tabernacle in the middle and the various tribes arrayed around it beginning in the east with the tribes uh, associated with Judah then the south the tribes of Reuben the west are the tribes of uh, Ephraim and then on the north are the tribes associated with Dan and we can get into those details if we have time later on but one of the things that I read in the rabbinic commentaries, I had never uh, really read this before until I started reading the rabbis, is that the arrangement of the camp, so if we could visualize this for a second, uh, if, if you could have an aerial view looking down, what we would see is the tabernacle in the center and then the uh, tribes arrayed around the tabernacle so that you would have what from above actually looks like a cross with the four camps arrayed east, south, west, and north. Now there was some bleed over I'm sure. Uh, it might not have looked quite as clear cut as, as the lines on a cross but that's the general ar array and what the rabbis say is that those that, that order is a picture of the heavenly throne room with God's throne in the middle and he is the Lord of hosts, uh, Yahweh Sabaoth, right? The, the Lord of the armies. Uh, and what the rabbis say is that in the heavenly courtroom, uh, you have the, God's throne in the center and then the four ranks of angels they don't, at least in the commentary that I've read, I haven't seen uh, what the different four ranks are named, but the four ranks of angels arrayed around God's throne so uh, those are the, the primary pieces of what we find in this first uh, section of numbers and so uh, that's just a bird's eye view and Lee you've got some thoughts there so uh, I thought it was pretty interesting when we, were, when we were talking about this and studying it that you pointed out that uh, on different sides 
were the sons of the different wives of Jacob and their and their um mm-hmm. what were their their well, maids their well, I forget the, the, the word the, 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 the servant girls the handmaids the that, handmaids right and you know it's interesting because so uh, this is it's called mustering the people is in the beginning here of mm-hmm. chapter one and you know basically they're getting ready to they're getting instructions on how to set up the camp and how to march and how to live in the wilderness with the total number of adult males given in verse 46 is 603,550 so there was an estimate well like of over 2 million people right mm-hmm. if that's the adult males over so here they are they're in you know a wilderness and they're getting ready to move and march and you know camp and it's like a city right mm-hmm. so we've had instructions of okay well how do you get along uh you know in terms of the whole jubilee you know some laws about how to be fair and just practically to your neighbor and now it's almost like he's saying okay you got different tribes in fact you have sons of different wives there might be some uh sibling rivalry there might be some internal division you guys have tribes and clans how do you keep them separated Mm -hmm. but also keep them unified and and you had asked well how does that apply to the body of christ so or how does that apply to us in this modern sense this whole idea of the structure of the camp with the tabernacle in the middle Mm -hmm. you had asked that when we were studying it so that was a thought I had because, you know, we have different tribes. We, there's a lot of tribal mentality in the world. We have different rivalries, sibling rivalries. Mm-hmm. We have different Protestant divisions and Catholic divisions. One new man, Jewish believers, Gentile believers, and Yeshua. How do we get together? Well, what's in the middle? What's yeah. holding us together there? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it raises a lot of interesting questions because the, the, the camp is arranged by birth mother, basically. And so in the first, uh, the eastward uh, group is Judah and Issachar and Zebulun, all sons of Leah. In the second group, uh, in the south of the tabernacle, are two sons of Leah, Reuben and Simeon, and one son of Leah's handmaiden, Zilpah. So the internecine uh, conflict is at least reduced significantly by, in these first two camps, all the sons are from the same mom, except one who is kind of like a stepbrother, half-brother, something. Right? Uh, and, and from from the girl who belonged to our mom, right? Right. The third group are all Rachel's sons. Uh, the two sons of Joseph and Benjamin, 
the fourth group, the, the northward group, and I hadn't thought of this till we started to unpack this a little bit. Uh, this is the group that's headed by Dan, the northernmost group of people. Uh, they are for the, from the north. The rabbis have designated this group symbolic of darkness. And they tie that to the terrible moral history that we find recorded about Dan later on. And that when, when uh, Assyria is attacking from the north, it's coming down through these areas, and these are the people who are going to get sent away first. This is the group. There are three tribes. Two of them are sons of Rachel's servant. One of them is a son of Leah's servant. And so maybe part of that disintegration that they experienced ahead of the other tribes maybe in some way have begun well, we're clearly just speculating here but because they were unable to get over that tribalism between themselves maybe there was constant bickering uh, between a lot of these folks as they were marching and setting up and you know, it's a lot I, of people's moves. So, so when one of when I heard you talking, and when I'm looking at the scripture, the, my brain really goes to our military format because we manage uh, people from all walks of life, all different religious backgrounds, uh, and they have their own ideas of even what the military is. Some people came for patriotism. Some people came because they wanted to get out of gangs. Some people came for different reasons. And so the idea of being a soldier is the message that the drill sergeants would purify by fire your civilian character, whatever issue it was. All they knew, if it, was, if it didn't represent the direction we're going, you, you couldn't keep that character. You couldn't keep that. And so they, literally they did the, the exact same thing. That's what our platoons were. So when you say tribe, I hear platoon. And we're all in the same army. We get there at the same time. But And, and, and here's what's interesting. No one knew uh, each other's ranks. So some people joined as a private. Some people joined as a captain. But in boot camp, during this purification process, everyone's on the same level. You don't know who is who. And you don't even know what your job responsibilities are going to be. The key is to become a soldier first, and then they're going to position you. And through that training, it's th this is an exact diagram of exactly how the United States Army works. I mean, everything you just said, from the sectioning off people, from the this and that, uh, the women on one side, the men on the other side. Like, the, the, the order, had the, the reset of the order had to be done on the, you had to become this order there was no resistance or rebellion. So when you see that resistance or rebellion, these are very much the people that get excommunicated or you're dishonorably discharged for not, for not being able to acclimate to the military standard after making the commitment, you get a dishonorable discharge. And your life is it's not a good life after that. No one wants to hire right. you. It's like, you know, so that, that's what's so interesting about hearing this because... God is saying, if you can't acclimate, there's something else going on internally. You know what I mean? And it's and, he, and he's also, I think, saying that in the middle of this, this is what Jerry talked about, right. 
the, 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 the central portion it was called in the Talmud the camp of the Shekhinah. Right? Remember, the Shekhinah is the dwelling place of the Lord because that's where the tabernacle was. And that was, not only was it in the middle to bring everyone together to focus on the mission, right? Which should be the mission, but it was also um, to protect what is most important, which is the tent of the meeting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the couple things, as we were talking, in, in a sense, this really is boot camp for them because they, they've left <coughs> Egypt, they camped for a while at, si at Sinai, and then they're, 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 this, is, this is where they are. They're, they're, they're still in that same general area. <coughs> it says at the beginning that this was the second month of the, the, the first day of the second month after they had left, which at the end of Exodus we knew that they were at the end that they were on the first day of the first month of that year. So this is just one month later. So God is giving them instructions about how to get, get <laughs> yeah, in order, how to, how to march, how to set up, how to take down. Um, <clears throat> and it is it is that shaping time, if you will. I think that that's a, that's that's a good way to to to, to think about it. And the failure comes because they lost what was central. Clearly, God's design is with him in the middle. And you see <clears throat> there's some debate about whether the tabernacle, uh, once they struck camp, I tend to believe that uh, Judah and uh, Reuben, the two, the east and the south camp, moved out, and then the tabernacle moved out. There are some who believe, however, that all four camps moved out with the tabernacle at the end. Um, I'm not real sure about the, why the argument they make for that, but it seems from reading the text that it, it's more like it's it's riding in the middle. Yeah, if you look if you look at uh, military march formations, uh, if you ever get a chance to YouTube them, uh, they actually will form a legit cross in their formations of the different branches of especially with a battalion walk and it's a, you'll have two you have the two front uh, the two on the top two front and usually the flag in the middle or something like that and they'll be marching together in unison so that there's that's the real method behind the madness mm -hmm. when you see them marching in unison but they they the lines are tight it has to form this formation what's so interesting is that uh when they're forming this formation the, there's still a drill sergeant or a sergeant on the side guiding them saying left right left right you know guiding them there's still a voice that they have to follow uh to mm -hmm. to keep that formation tight you know what i mean and so that's if, if a person starts to veer off they they actually will correct them in a command uh to to tighten back up but you know so it's they're almost shepherds mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, I like that idea. They need, they still need a voice to guide them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs> and boy, isn't that the truth? My sheep hear my voice. Oh, man. And they know me. Uh, we still need a voice to guide us. We've been brought into God's army, and uh, we still need that, that voice. And, and I think if you're not careful, if you're not careful reading this, uh, especially the foundation part, you know, you can misinterpret it and say this is where God is being mean and wrathful, but it's a place of order, not emotions. 
Does that make sense at all? Like, like it's. Does that well, make sense? Well, yeah, because um, you know, as we go on, you know, in in this uh, parsha, you know, the talk about how to disassemble the tabernacle and wrap it, and not to look at it and you know approach it. I mean, this is, you know, the the. You could say, oh, this is about how to train platoons for war. And, and there is definitely some of that going on because for sure, you know, it's these are men 20 years and older. These are people who can be soldiers, okay? And you're getting ready to march through the wilderness. You need protection. You need soldiers. But the central part is really about the tabernacle right and the priests and the levites so you want you yeah we talk don't to wanna, us about that want to miss that <clears throat> um the uh discussion about the levites begins in chapter 1 verse 47 the levites weren't listed along with them by their ancestral tribe for the lord spoke to moses saying only the tribe of levi you shall not list or take a census of them among the people of israel but appoint them over the tabernacle of the testimony and over all its furnishings and over all that belongs to it. They are to carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall take care of it and shall camp around the tabernacle. When the tabernacle sets out, the Levites take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. If any outsider, and we need to understand that an outsider here is an Israelite who's not a Levite. Right. So, so th we're not talking about foreigners from other nations. We're talking about actual Israelites who are not of the tribe of Levi. If any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. The people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp and each man by his own standard. So there's something interesting, though. Uh, here is, is, is God's presence in the middle, and the Israelites are camped around it, and God also says, don't come near or you'll be put to death, right? One group of people are going to be camped inside of that outer ring of 12 tribes, and that is the Levites in their various families, Gershom, Kohath, and Merari. And we'll, we'll learn about those groups in a bit. But <clears throat> the Levites, verse 53, shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, so there may be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. The Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus did the people of Israel. They did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. And so what's interesting here is the people have God right there in their presence, yet they still do not have direct access. If they're going to approach God, they must approach through the appropriate mediators, the Levites. And what a great picture that is for us then, too, is that our approach to God is not on our own, but it's mediated by Yeshua, right? And what happens if one approaches God on their own? Wrath. So um, the, uh, the role of the Levites then is clearly defined in one way, at least, as protecting the people. Yeah, that God might not break out on them. You know, the whole business back at Sinai, you know, make sure you set up fences and keep the people back that the holiness and the glory just doesn't consume them, right? 
And then, and, it's so beautiful. And the, and the you know, <coughs> you think back to uh, Leviticus, the whole purpose of the priestly clan is to perform the atonement, the atoning uh, procedure, the atoning uh, sacrifice, the uh, atoning uh, ceremony. And, you know, so the, the mediation, if, if God represents himself in Exodus as merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, full of love and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, sin, this is God the Father, merciful and compassionate. We still need the mediator who atones for mm -hmm. our sins sure. in order to unlock that grace of God's mercy and compassion. Yes, yes. Uh, the reality about God is that he's a consuming fire, and we don't necessarily have to think about God operating in wrath for people to be consumed. If you come too close to the fire... Yeah, and, and it's, it's just it's such an amazing... Uh, like to even look at the sun, for example, it it gives us vitamin D, it warms us and health. But if you come too close, within hundreds of miles, if like just a few thousand miles, you can still be consumed and completely dissolved, as if you were right in it. But you know, at its proper distance, we can receive from it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, for for that type of glory, that type of power to even wrap itself in flesh for him to I, I was I was just on a television show a few days or th th like three days ago and they wanted me to uh, to talk about you know the Trinity and you know the whether it was Trinity or Unitarian and I said oh, well let me explain something I said the first thing we need to appreciate is this that we love the story from rags to riches but we serve a God that went from running everything the universe to rags we serve a God that gave himself to say, I'm going to explore that. And then I, when I begin to talk about the prophets and the priests and the, 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 the setting up for this coming of the Lord, you know, what, we, what he really was doing was putting a historical, even if the people messed up, putting an historical order in place that he could attach himself to. Because it's his word, his order, it's his promise, his ways that he's restoring when Yeshua comes to the earth. Mm -hmm. Even if man mishandled it. However, the foundations have to be accurate. So I can see why he would take less, like the Levites, and say, with you, I'm going to develop the foundation that I'm going to stand on. So when I send my son, we have we know what this looked like. There's a roadmap. There's not this abstract concept of righteousness. We can look and see and document this is what this this is. And he and he calls the Levites the substitute for the firstborn. Right. Well, that comes up a little bit later, yeah. uh, for sure. The uh, just this idea though that that the. Uh, the way to the presence of God is always through God's appointed mediator, whether it was through the Levites and the priesthood and the high priest, or now as we, we know from uh, the, especially the teaching in Hebrews, that Jesus has replaced all of that priesthood, that all of those things were just shadows and types and symbols of what he was to come and to do. 
Yeah. I have a question though. It, when when he when he says in I believe it's in Ephesians, where he says, uh, "It's in some apostles, pastors, preachers, teachers." Is that a would that be an echo of this connection that he's still going to send us those voices, those guidance, and does that bring that divine? Is it is it equally the divine value of the Levites when we look at the apostles, the pastors, the preachers, and? Well, I've never thought of it quite like that, but I, what he's talking about in Ephesians is he's going to give gifts of leaders to the people of God. Got it. And so I guess in some way that equates to whatever gifts of leaders he gave to the uh, old covenant people, whether that was Moses or, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about in, in, uh, in our earlier discussion I didn't bring up at the time uh, but way back in Exodus, when Moses was dealing with everybody's problems, remember Jethro told him, set up, set up, set up group, a leader over 50 and set up a leader over 100. But that was a practice that probably obtained still to this point, I would, I would suggest. So yeah. that hopefully there were leaders in these camps mm-hmm. who were trying to tamp down some of the friction. And let's face it, just because we share the same mother doesn't mean we're not going to have conflict. What? <laughs> and, then, and, 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 you know, that's borne out because each tribe had uh, a leader appointed to do the census. So, yeah. Well, excellent and, point. So, yeah, even in reading through this, we see that, that there are leaders in these groups and there are other people named underneath them. So yeah. I, I guess that's a fair equation yeah. to make. Okay. Well, well, well the, when you first started reading, to be totally honest with you, <laughs> I immediately thought, started thinking about the issues with Lot and Abraham over the, the land and they're fighting over herds. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like right off, right out the gate, just our, I guess it's our nature of our humanity, but right out the gate, we're dealing with this drama, you know, of who's where, where are people going? And I can totally see uh, the, the father wanting to deal with that and say, we can't function like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you like mean the pride of power that we <laughs> talked about last week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's weird because it's like from Abraham, Sarah, then Lot tags along, then his people come and they're fighting over who gets the land. Like that inner fighting, I, I really feel like it's it's not so much about beating people, you know, like get out, get out, or catch me, but. Setting order is what controls those passions. And God's orders right here because in the middle of it is the The tent of the meaning, the camp of the Shekinah, the divine presence of God, Yeshua HaMashiach. And if we, the whole one new man, were being built together into the dwelling place of the Lord, if all these different tribes, you know, brothers of the same mother, you know, brothers, yeah. half brothers, you know, would all come together. And Abraham didn't have that. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and that's one of the points I think to make here as well is that uh, in Corinthians, where there was disorder everywhere, remember what Paul says God is a God of order. order. Wow. And so we, we, we see that. Uh, God wants things done decently and in order, right? Um, and and he, he teaches the people how to do that. <clears throat> each camp, each tribe had its own color and insignia. And I don't want to get into a whole long list of those things. But it must have been 
I guess like in the military, you have different patches that signify mm -hmm. what division you're in, what what Absolutely. battalion, whatever. Uh, that it was that that same idea that we are uh, call and so over each each camp was a banner, mm -hmm. and the idea of a banner. Uh, comes up repeatedly throughout scripture and one of the names of Yahweh that he gives us is Yahweh Nisi the Lord is my banner Wow! and so so each of these tribes had their own banner but I like to go to and, and when my kids moved I, I gave them this verse to, to, uh, for their house but the banner is is a rallying point right hey this is where you know if we get separated, look for the banner. Mm -hmm. It is a, uh, what's, I can't think of a, a good word, but when we enter into battle, we follow the banner, right? And in, in uh, the Song of Songs, right? Uh, he says, his banner over me is love. And so I, I, whenever I read about banners in the, in the scripture, uh, my mind just eventually gets to that place that when God plants a banner over his people, whatever might be underneath in terms of other banners, you know, uh, we're, we're Presbyterians or we're Methodists or whatever, uh, there's a higher banner. The banner of God's love. Then the scripture says, "There's a there's when the the He raises up a standard. Mm -hmm. The that's standard the, is the banner. Yes, that's the, the same standard. word. Yes, same, the same word. word. Well, unfortunately, here's the bad news. <laughs> For since I've been born, uh, I, and and I I just found out maybe when I was 20, I would hear the scripture that God raises up a standard, and the preachers would actually preach from the perspective of like you raise up a principle or a teaching or, or, or not they didn't know it meant banner mm -hmm. and the enlightenment that you guys are bringing on this I I always remind I always forget to tell people about this but this is so critical because people think oh God's just going to make more rules because they're looking at standard as rules and it's like no he's telling you this banner and this, this is exactly what it is it's a rally point whenever things get chaotic Look for the banner. Go back. Reset. And that's a reconcile. Yeah. That's what he's saying. Well, you Reform. Know, uh, that's what the ultimate point of uh, the Red Badge of Courage is, is when the young man grabs the Union flag and leads the army forward. Oh, that, man. That, it's that rallying point. And it, it's so funny because in order to move forward, we have to get back. To, we have to go back to move forward. And and that's that's how the military uh, has won so many times getting back to the original vision, getting back to the heart, or even back to the foundations. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes things have to be torn down to get back to the foundation. Uh, where we can really get to the the real heart of where God is trying to take us. Yeah, yeah. I want to uh, maybe run through the rest of this kind of quickly because I know we we would like to take a look at our Haftorah this week, which is Hosea. But a couple of points I wanted to make uh, still left here. Uh, I said uh, that uh, it was my understanding that the tabernacle moved out in the middle of the camp. And in 2.17, it talks about how uh, first the, the Judah tribes move out, and then the Reuben tribes move out. And then verse 17, Then the tent of meeting shall set out 
with the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps as they camp, so shall they set out each in position standard by standard. So to me that seems pretty clear, although there are people who argue otherwise. And I'm, I, I, as I said <laughs> earlier, I'm not sure where they're getting it from. Right. But anyway, uh, that, that is there in the text that it says that they moved out in the middle. Um, chapter 3 then uh, moves away from this discussion about the arrangement of the camps, how they'll set up, how they'll leave, into the discussion. These are the generations of Aaron and Moses at the time when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. And so that is a phrase that we have seen earlier, especially in Genesis. These are the generations of, right? And so here we have a switch in the narrative to focus particularly on Aaron and his family. Um, <clears throat> so it talks about his sons, uh, and then it says in verse 4, Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered unauthorized fire. We read that discussion a few weeks ago. But there are these remaining sons, uh, Eleazar and Ithamar, <clears throat> And so they will be taking up the uh, priesthood along with their father. There's a third son who's not mentioned here who comes up later, another son of Aaron. Uh, and that in English is Phineas, uh, in Hebrew Pincus. And there's actually a Parsha later on that's called Pincus because it focuses on what he did uh, in the days of Balaam. But that's part of the future story in Numbers. But for now, uh, the Lord spoke to Moses, bring the tribe of Levi near, set them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister to him. So he is over the whole sanctuary, over the ritual that's associated with the sanctuary, and the Levites are there to serve under his command. Okay? Uh, they shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation as they minister at the tabernacle. They guard the furnishings of the tent of meeting. They guard Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. Give the Levites to Aaron. So <clears throat> um, they, it says they were wholly given to him. And the Hebrew there is interesting because it's the same word repeated. It's netunim, netunim, uh, given, given. Like uh, that's how they, they described the intensification of something. They would, they would double that word. So wholly given. Uh, to to Aaron, <clears throat> completely consecrated. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, he says in verse 12, I've taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine. And here's the connection. Maybe, Lee, you want to talk about this a little bit, I know. Uh, all the firstborn who opens the womb are mine. The firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. Period. <laughs> so, uh, so it says here in the commentary, it says, The sacredness of the firstborn and the priestly functions which they are enjoined to perform date from the time of the slaying of the firstborn in the land of Egypt. At the worship of the golden calf, the firstborn forfeited their special priestly privileges through their participation in that idolatrous worship. The Levites were chosen in their stead in recognition of their firm and faithful stand at that hour of apostasy. Very interesting. Yeah. 
God's word is cohesive and just coherent and integral and you know when I when I when I when I look at this it, it it's it's amazing how uh, I when, when you hear order you you kind of not cringe but you you almost think you know well there's no room for imagination or there's no room for creativity it's like no this order it's not about you at all it's about him establishing his word he doesn't need your advice <laughs> you know what I mean it's like it's like if you you look at the instructions of a bike. You look at the instructions of uh, putting something together. It, it, you know, there's there's no missing pieces. There's no extra pieces. You know what I mean? It, it, when you do, when you decide to go your own way or create your own instructions, all of a sudden there's extra pieces or there's it is wobbly. What he's doing is giving us a foundation of instructions and showing us that when we stay in his word, like you said, cohesive, when we align ourselves to his cohesive word, we're the ones that's going to end up protected. We're the ones that's going to end up with the benefit, and we don't need to add anything to it. He's Notice he's not asking for any ideas. And, he, and, and he's also <laughs> this, this idea of the first fruits, the firstborn, um, our mind. I am the Lord and mm -hmm. you know it's it's contrary in a way to the world and the way people think because a lot of the firstborn children think oh I'm the oldest I have the privilege I'm the heir you know it's just God saying no remember the source of creation mm-hmm Yes, and and uh, as you were saying that, that is the idea behind the first fruits offering is to be able to say in faith, this looked pretty good to eat. We could probably survive on this for a week or two, but I'm going to give it to God with the belief that there's more behind it, right? Yeah. 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 And, and, in the, and being the first does mean something, you know, that, that there's a connection there because he is the alpha omega. There's a, there's going to be that want that, that desire to express himself through that 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 concept for the purpose of reminding everyone else. You know what I mean? In positioning, the creation is always first should acknowledge the creator. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's the appropriate order, not a. Um, disordered desire. Right. Right. And Yeshua is called the firstborn of creation uh, and that is not an indication that he was born in the traditional sense. Not an indication that he was uh, at one point non-existent and became existent. It is uh, a recognition of his rights of inheritance. Mm -hmm. He is the firstborn uh, of of creation, and so uh, that that holiness uh, that's connected with the concept of firstborn is is completely borne out here, and, and so and, and and also, like you said, as the firstborn of creation, he is mine. The Father saying, "He, he is, is mine." mine. <laughs> Amen. 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 And so uh, we have... And, and one last thing. He's also, in the same way the Levites are here, substitutionary firstborn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, so to close out this portion, uh, we have the redemption of the firstborns. Uh, they count up the Levites. Remember, they're going to be in, in, in place of the firstborns. There's 22,000 Levites. Turns out that there's 22,273 firstborns in the camp. And so there are 273 people then who are going to need to pay the redemption price of five shekels. And that was a price that was determined um, according to the sanctuary temple, the, 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 the sanctuary shekel. And the uh, commentary that I read said that all 22,273 people got a lot. And all of them, or 22,000 of them got a lot that said uh, redeemed. And 273 of them got a lot that said five shekels or some equivalent mm -hmm. phrase. <laughs> Uh, whether that's actually how it happened, the text doesn't make that clear, but that is the rabbinic tradition. That's cool. The uh, last part here, then, is a discussion about the sons of Kohath and uh, how they are going to uh, take care of the uh, furniture of the sanctuary, the ark, the uh, candlestick, the table of incense and the table of uh, showbread is the old King James word. Uh, the uh, English translation of my Hebrew Bible here calls it constant bread, but bread that was always out before God's presence until it was eaten and time to put the new bread out. Um, what's interesting or, or, or has, has made me wonder sometimes is as they uh, pack these things up uh, they're cautioned very strongly not to look at it. Mm -hmm. uh, they are to they, they go in, inside uh, well not to look at the ark. Uh, they, they are not given those same precautions about the other pieces of furniture but they go in and they take down the curtain, the dividing curtain and so that's in front of them and in front of their eyes and they lay that over the ark then they take a blue cloth, which is supposed to symbolize uh, God's throne, the sky. And then they take another animal skin. And there's a lot of interesting discussion about what that animal actually was. In a variety of uh, English translations, you might see badger skin, seal skin. Uh, the, the rabbis, there's one tradition that it was actually some a uh, fantastically large, multicolored, unicorn-like animal that existed only for that time and for this purpose to cover the ark. Uh, that's pretty fantastic, and it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that, but it's possible. Right. At any rate, that uh, skin is laid over the blue cloth, and all of it is supposed to symbolize the, 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 the holiness of, of what's being covered and also uh, to protect people from intruding where they don't belong. And so you have the, the, the same uh, directions given to the other uh, pieces of furniture with the exception that the blue cloth and the animal skin, whatever that animal was, are reversed on the other pieces. And so the uh, idea is that on those other pieces, what we do get to see is that this is a reminder, the blue cloth, that this is uh, what 
well, Hebrews would tell us that this is a picture of what, what it looks like in heaven, right? So unless you have something else that you want to throw in here, I want to take, we've got about 13, 14 minutes left. One quick to last look at Hosea, thing. sure. I think in, 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 you know, going back to what Duke was saying about looking at the sun, if you look at the sun, you're going to go blind. Right. Right. And 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 it says here in Numbers fourteen, nineteen, and twenty, or eighteen through twenty, at the end he says, "Cut ye not off the tribe of the families of the Kohathites from among the Levites, but thus do unto them that they may live and not die when they approach unto the most holy things. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint them every one to his service and to his burden." But they shall not go in to see the holy things as they are being covered, lest they die. So there's this incredible warning, boundary, don't even look at it. Don't mm -hmm. go in to see the holy things right. if you're not Aaron and his sons, right? I mean, that's the way I read it, mm -hmm. that only Aaron and his sons could cover up the the Ark of the Covenant and, right. <clears throat> and uh, or they would die so I mean God is putting this boundary around and it goes all the way back to the original sin you know oh you can be like God <laughs> you know, no, you, you can't be like God. In fact, if you come in the holy and holy to look at it, you're going to die. You know what's so amazing about the, the the effort that you see him even coming up with these concepts uh, to bring us into his presence without killing us, right? It's so crazy because we literally had that privilege with Adam and Eve before sin. They were walking with him in the cool of the day. And so you see this pursuit of him, and I mean, it makes it clear that he tried to stop Cain from killing his brother. So you can see this pursuit of him, even though we have distanced ourselves from him, to now, I guess by Genesis 6, we can't be in his presence by Genesis 6. He floods the earth, uh, he makes this covenant with Abraham, and you still see him trying to draw us closer to him. You know, the mountain's on fire, he wants everybody to come. And so he's always no matter how much we failed or rejected him already, he's always creating new ways to bring us closer. Because his banner is love. So that's a good transition to Hosea 2. So Amen. talk to us about Hosea 2. So uh, just real quickly, if you're trying to follow along with us, uh, we're looking at uh, Hosea chapter 2. Uh, however, in the English Bible, uh, this passage actually begins at Hosea chapter 1. Uh, let me give you the verse number. It actually begins at Hosea chapter 1, verse 10, beginning with, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And so that is the verse that connects us to our Parsha, this idea of numbering. Now, what's interesting here is saying that in God's providence, uh, Israel uh, will not be able to be numbered. It will be a number that's greater than the sands of the sea. <clears throat> it goes on. So, so let's just stop for a second and understand what's, what the background to Hosea is. Hosea is a prophet speaking to the northern kingdom late in their history when they have uh, 
really gone way off the rails. Uh, they are uh, guilty of uh, what we call syncretism, uh, that is combining uh, true worship of Yahweh with worship of Baal. They have uh, bought into a lot of the Canaanite rites of fertility, uh, uh, temple prostitution, not the Temple of Solomon, but these shrine prostitutes, uh, a, a belief in the nature gods to help them have good crops, the fertility gods to help them have plenty of children. Uh, they have combined all of this with a worship of sorts uh, of, of Yahweh. And so uh, God is, is, is repelled by what's been taking place. He's sent prophets. Hosea is the is the uh, probably the last speaking prophet to the northern kingdom and he is told in chapter one to go and marry a prostitute so uh, God says you're going to have children by this prostitute one is going to be named Jezreel and Jezreel is uh, God will plant or God will sow and Jezreel is a place that came to be associated with judgment uh, it was just outside of Jericho. It is the site. It, it is a big plain uh, that has the uh, Har Megiddo, the mountain of Megiddo, which is where Armageddon is supposed to take place. So that's Jezreel. Then she was to have a daughter named Lo Ruhamah, uh, she who has no mercy, she, she who doesn't receive mercy. And he's supposed to have a son, Lo Ami, not my people. Those would be to be the names. So clearly very symbolic names of what God is intending to do with these people who have rebelled against him, who have gone after other gods. So we get to this place in, in chapter 1, verse 10. Uh, in spite of this, in spite of this judgment that I've just pronounced through these yeah. children's names... Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea. So there is this immediate, it's, it's brief, because the rest of chapter 2 until the very end is going to be all about judgment and bad stuff. But he gives them a glimpse that grace is going to win out, right? Uh, yet there will be uh, so many they cannot be measured and numbered. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said, children of the living God. The children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Now, what we're looking at is since Solomon, the Jewish nation has been divided between a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Judah and Israel have been at war with each other at various times. They've made... Uh, different alliances with uh, competing nations, sometimes ones with Assyria, sometimes ones with Egypt. And, and you know, uh, if you come against me with the king of Assyria, I'm going to go talk to the king of Egypt. So there's all of this, <laughs> we talked about it earlier, internecine strife going on uh, as nations. And now he is making a proclamation about the future. There's something that's, that's going to be bad in here called no mercy and not my people but that is not the end of the story the end of the story is at Jezreel at the place of judgment something's happening to bring Judah and Israel together and it will be said receives mercy children of the living God right wow. 
you know, it, it, it's so funny because I actually hear, you know, when you look at what what Christ does is bring it by bringing the Jew and Gentile together. It's almost like he's also saying, you know, that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. You know, you can see the same tone that even though these bad things are going to happen, nothing's going to stop my people. Right. Like, I love that confidence that he gives us. Like, yes, there's consequences, but there's also the promise there's nothing going to stop my people. Listen to what the comment is here in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 2. By one of those swift transitions that reflect the conflicting emotions by which his sensitive soul is torn, mm -hmm. profound love for his people, and anguish at their moral decay and the destruction it was precipitating. Hosea now arraigns Israel under the image of the faithless wife. Right. Yeah, so that's the point that needs to be made, is that God commands him to go and marry a prostitute because this is going to be a picture of God's relationship with unfaithful Israel. Exactly. And uh, again, in the English Bible, chapter 2, verse 1, really belongs with the previous verse that we, we said. Uh, Great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. That really is the end of that thought. Uh, because then it does switch gears to this plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, I am not her husband, that she put away her whoring from her face. So at that human level, sure, you could see Hosea and his wife, but that's not what God is, is getting at. I've used them as a picture, as a teaching tool, <laughs> if you will, to say this is where we are, Israel. You, I have been a faithful husband to you. I have cared for you, and you have gone after the other gods. What I love is, uh, and again, I'm going to give the English uh, verse references uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. She has said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. She has completely missed where her providence and provision comes from. Uh, we know from James that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness of turning, Right? Even on the just and the unjust, the rain falls. The goodness of God in Romans chapter 2. Don't you know that the goodness of God is supposed to turn you to repentance? So she has said, I got all this good stuff from my lovers. And in this case, her lovers are the Baals, the false gods. And I just love this. Verse 8 says, She did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Yeah. She didn't know. She thought, if I go through these, these cultic rituals, if I uh, sleep with somebody in the temple, if I you know, make an offering at my shrine to this god or that god, that I'll be blessed with grain and wine and oil, not knowing that it was coming from the God of Israel himself. You, you know, the not knowing part, it's like, I, I, I can't help but see uh, a, a American 
modern faith, the, th the way we try to infuse so much in, in, in an effort to either please God, but also in an effort, effort to say, oh, we're free from, uh, free from sin or free from those religious principles. Mm -hmm. And so there's these two extremes where we want to infuse worldliness into our modern faith to, to please God. Uh, for the sake of reaching souls and evangelism. And then there's this other part of people who say, oh, we're going to use these rituals uh, or we're going to infuse that because it doesn't matter. So we're going to watch unholy things. We're going to uh, support unholy things. We're going to invest in unholy things because it doesn't matter because we're free from it. And then there's this other part that goes, oh, and when you read this, you clearly see God saying, I don't want it. I don't want these attributes in my in my presence, and I've never wanted that. And you know, this is again proving the value of staying connected to our uh, Old Testament consistency, because otherwise, our vain imaginations will take it too far, where you will end up in this place called not knowing. Mm -hmm. You know, and 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 thinking about how this half Torah ties to the to the Sidra, you know, the Parsha what we read in Numbers I'm thinking about the tabernacle in the middle and this whole dwelling place and that the whole purpose of the structure of the tribes was to march protect and honor what's in the middle and that when they get peeled off and they fight among each go. other, you know and they're not keeping their attention on the dwelling place of the Lord, this mm -hmm. is what happens, you know. And, you know, when, you, when we put it in those hard physical terms, it becomes clear why Paul was so disturbed about division in the church. I was thinking that. You know, I mean, that, that really is a good physical picture for us if we think of the, the cohesion that's necessary in a military operation and, and the effort the enemy makes to, to break them up, to divide them. Right? The enemy, that's what the enemy, the enemy is doing, mm -hmm. right? He'll, he'll say, oh, you know, you Baptists, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. You think anyone who speaks in tongues, you know, they are possessed or something. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the, the enemy's it's taking little differences of our tribes, dividing us from keeping God in the center. Yes, Yeshua in the middle. That's yeah. where we need to be. And and I think and and and, and here's the thing. Uh, again, and I said this when you guys first had me on. This is where I want to encourage, uh, you know, modern modern uh, people who grew up in the Baptist or wherever you grew up. Don't be intimidated by our our. Our Jewish heritage and Jewish leadership or Jewish teachings because what happens is a lot of people get defensive and go oh but the spirit led me the Bible tells us that the spirit leads us to all truth not just this the, you know and the, that means to me that means the spirit's gonna lead us back in order and so in and, and, and as Gentiles if you are a Gentile believer uh, it's important not to be intimidated by the order of God because it's good for us and when you hear these things like, you know, oh, well, I thought this meant this or I thought that meant that or this is, you know, all we have to do is look and see whatever we've been doing hasn't been working. 
And it's good to bring yourself back into the order of God. And the fact that God has preserved his word and there's messianic believers that, that we have access to, that we can learn from, this is good. Like if, if I'm at war, lead me to the warriors. You know what I mean? If I, if I, if I need, if there's something going on with space, lead me to NASA people. You know what I mean? So this opportunity that that we have that God is bringing a reconciliation between the church and Israel and and we get to find out all that's going to happen by coming into connection with this is wholeness. Mm-hmm. That's that that's what's going to happen. Yes, we're going to find out a lot of stuff that we thought was an error, but the reality is we're going to find wholeness and healing and really be genuinely pleasing to God. Well, I know that there's lots of people who talk about keeping the first things first, right? And the first thing is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Right. That God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. That, what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever puts his faith in him will not perish but have eternal life. And so that's where we want to end with you folks. Well, Well, you know, just before we get to the end, and, and, and I'm missing Bob because Bob loves to speak of that this is a bridal ceremony that God married the, the mm-hmm. people, the, the Israel, the, his people Israel at Mount Sinai. And, and, that, and that is, and it's also Christ is spoken of, the church is his bride. And, right. and, and, I just want to end with uh, the last of this okay. in Hosea because it's so beautiful and it starts with uh, 20 and it says um, or maybe it's a 19 or 18 it shall be at that day saith the Lord and let me just say in the English version it starts in verse 16 sorry and it shall be at that day saith the Lord that thou shalt call me Ishi and shall call me no more Bali. Bali. Yes. Bali, for I will take away the names of the Bileem out of her mouth, and they shall no more be mentioned by their name. So can I just jump in there for a second? Yeah. Ishi is the Hebrew word, it means my husband. My husband. My husband. You will you will you will call me my husband mm. and no longer will you call me my Baal. And Baal is we we recognize it as the name of a god but it actually has a literal meaning lord or master and then by context it could mean husband also so ishi is my husband baali meant my husband but he's looking at the broader context of my my lord or my master he says you're not going to call me that anymore okay and that's great because it says in that day Will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and with the fowls of the heaven and with the creeping things of the ground? And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the land and will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in justice and in loving kindness and in compassion. And I will betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yeah, those are the five five great Hebrew words: uh, tzedek, righteousness, mishpat, justice, 
chesed, loving kindness, racham, mercy, and then emunah, faithfulness. And that last phrase, you shall know the Lord, that is not uh, as, as, as surface a knowledge as we might assign to that. That is a word that suggests deep, deep intimacy. It's the same word that is used when Adam knew his wife, when he slept with her and had sex with her and made love with her. That was the, that's, that's the idea behind sex, to make love. And so uh, he knew her. He was totally intimate. They came together as one flesh. Uh, he says, you shall know the Lord. And that's the promise in the new covenant, isn't it? Uh, you shall not teach people about the Lord. Everyone will know him. Which is what Adam did. Adam did not have faith. Adam knew him. He was born of him. So we're getting back to that. Right. Beautiful. So that is a great place to end. Uh, we want to invite you to visit us at onenewmanministries.org. And I want to just uh, close by inviting you to think about all the good gifts in your life, whatever they may be. Even for those of us who feel like we have not always gotten a fair deal or a good shake in life, uh, if you take a moment to count your blessings, as the old song says, you'll find that there are good things. And we want to affirm again that those good things come to you from the one true God who sent his son, and that the greatest gift that he gave us was the gift of his son, Yeshua, Jesus. He died for our sins, that we might be made one with God, that we who were separated and far off might be brought not only near, but in, into his presence, into his love, into his blessing. If you don't know Yeshua as your savior, I invite you to uh, consider him, ask God to reveal him to you, and accept him as your savior. So we wanna sign off with that. We hope to, see you or be with you again next week. God bless you all.